Hey friends, this is Michael Bohm with Youth Apologetics Training. Today, I'm going to go ahead and play part one of uh, a, a series that I taught at my church. Uh, this would be, I guess, more in the genre of like a, a, a Bible study type situation. Uh, it was a small group. Uh, there were tens of tens of people there. <laughs> Uh, and uh, it, it was on Second uh, Peter. And so I'm going to be releasing these podcasts over the next few weeks where I'm going to, well, verse by verse, expositionally, I went through the book of Second Peter. Uh, don't worry, friends, I'm going to get back to my regular format. In fact, uh, uh, tomorrow I'm going to be interviewing Eric Hovind. So I'll be releasing that fairly soon, talking about creation and evolution. Uh, if you're familiar with his ministry creation today, he's the son of Kent Hovind. So yeah, I'm, I'm going to get back to the regular types of podcasts that I release, but this series that I'm doing here on Second Peter, it does fit with the, the typical uh, content and topics that we deal with in this podcast. Uh, there, well, if you guys are familiar with Second Peter, there is quite a bit in there about false teachers and false prophets. So uh, I think it's going to resonate with a lot of you guys. So uh, with that, let's go ahead and start up this uh, church sermon, and I hope you guys enjoy it. Anyway, tonight, yeah, we're going to be talking about Second Peter. I chose this book because, as many of you guys know, I'm into uh, podcasting. I have an apologetics podcast. This book, Second Peter, is speaking my language. It was at the end of Peter's life, uh, Peter wrote this book in 63 AD, and he wrote it in Babylon uh, shortly before he died. In fact, he was crucified somewhere in 64-ish, 64, 65, somewhere in that time. Uh, Nero brought some serious persecution down on the church, and Peter was crucified upside down. And so, like, well, Peter, like Paul, at the end of his life, his message got really urgent, really serious because he knew his time was short and he started talking about things like doctrine, theology, getting, you know, hey, we need to make sure we have the right doctrine. Worldviews are very important and we need to know what's in the scriptures, make sure we get it right. He also talks about in this book, as well as Paul, as well as James, in the book of James and also at the end of Jesus' ministry, same thing, Doctrine, theology, and a warning about false prophets because they're coming, right? And so that was really important. And, and it's funny because, yeah, at the end of all their lives, they all kind of gravitated towards that same subject of things are going to get crazy. You're going to see a lot of false doctrine. You need to hold to the scriptures and you need to watch out for these false prophets, these false teachers. And then, of course, and the end of Second Peter, as well as most of the others that I've mentioned, and also John, you know, John's last book, Revelation. Again, getting into these types of things, also the second coming. And that is brought in at the end of Second Peter as well. So it was written to the churches in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. So some critics think that Peter actually didn't write the book of Second Peter, which my response would be, Psh. I mean, it, it's, it's obvious that it was written by Peter. Um, 
but there are some that think that he didn't write it because their, their argument is that he was a fisherman and that he was not skilled in writing, which, you know, come on. I mean, I know a lot of people that have very basic jobs and they can write quite well. Um, also, you know, a couple other points. Uh, his sermons and acts, they were very eloquent. They were articulate, okay? Um, and also we know that in, uh, what is it? It was in Acts chapter 4. The high priest, the elders, the scribes, they marveled at Peter because he was an unlearned man. And they were like, wow, this guy's been with Jesus. So moving on, we're actually going to get to some scripture here before too long. Oh, no. There's our first glitch. That's okay. All right. It is what it is. We're going with it. That has been the story of my day. I mean, this whole day, I'm not one to be like, you know, Satan's attacking me. But I got up this morning, and it was like all the way down from the moment I got up. And so I expected there to be some issues tonight, and that's fine. But uh, let's turn to Second Peter. Let's jump in. Uh, verse 1. And it starts, Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Uh, Notice verse 2, just like I was saying, right away, he doesn't waste any time. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God. He's, he's going to start getting into some things here. He's, you want to hold the line on doctrine, and, and doctrine is very important. So, a little rabbit trail. Servants. So, one of my, one of my podcasts, I got into uh, uh, servants and slavery in the Bible. A very uncomfortable subject. Okay, And something that I've always shied away from. And I got into it, and I learned a lot of interesting things about servants. Um, one, oh, maybe if I tap this. No, it's not going to do it. I had a whole list. It worked. (laughs) Praise God. Okay, so Danielle had set it up to where it would actually one by one, point by point, but whatever. Okay, so servants, they would live in their master's house, or at least live with their master. You're going to see some parallels here, interesting little parallels. They would follow their master's rules. Uh, They did their master's work. They represented the master. They were ambassadors to the master, oftentimes. They would do business deals for the master, represent him in the streets. Uh, They would be chastened by the master. They would be under the master's care and protection. The the master would protect them. He would defend them if they needed defending. Uh, The master would make sure that they were fed and clothed. The master was to teach them the ways of the Lord. Uh, they got the chance, okay, they would celebrate the feasts with their master, uh, which is interesting. Uh, even slaves of war, which these are servants, they're more like indentured servants, okay? These would be the people who uh, ended up becoming a servant because of things like debt, or sometimes they committed a crime against this person that was soon to be their master. Uh, they owed something. And they had to pay it off. There were also slaves of war. I'm not going to get into that tonight. But even them, they had the opportunity to celebrate the feasts with their master. Um, once they were released, if they were released, if they chose to be released, they would be released with a care package, almost like a, a little business starter. They would get 
a small little flock, some livestock. They would get some wine. They better be careful with that. And they would get some seed. And so they had a way to support themselves when they left their master's care, which is really cool because, you know, nowadays, just like, okay, if you're, if you're in your jail and you get set free from jail, what are you going to do? You know what I'm saying? But in this system, this system was so much better. Like, if you wrong somebody, you know, if, if you were busted by the law for wronging somebody, you would have to pay that person back. And it depended on what you did. Sometimes it was twice-fold, sometimes seven-fold, but you had to pay them back. How cool would that be if we did that nowadays? You know what I'm saying? Like, rather than all of us taxpayers have to pay for, pay for somebody sitting in jail, you know, kicking back and lifting weights and playing in the yard and stuff, they'd have to come and work for us. You know what I'm saying? That's pretty cool. We could teach them the ways of the Lord while we're at it, and uh, we'd actually get something out of it. We would get paid back. Anyway, rabbit trail. Love it. Um, The master was not to mistreat the servant, but was to treat him like family. Uh, The master, okay, this is cool too. If you chose to stay with your master, you would get marked by the master. And it's kind of a gory. They would pierce the ear against the doorpost. There was a mark. You took the master's mark and you you were marked for them. You guys seeing any parallels here? Pretty cool. Pretty cool. Well, Peter calls himself a servant. He also calls himself an apostle, which kind of goes to my slide there. I'm going to be talking about apostles and prophets a little bit later in this, in this teaching. Not too much today. But um, there's a lot of people nowadays that think that there is uh, modern-day apostles and prophets. Now, according to the New Testament, there are... Uh, apostles of Christ, and then there's apostles of the church. Apostles of the church, well, uh, apostle just means sent out. Okay, so an apostle of the church, yeah, I mean, that would be somebody the church sends to China to smuggle some Bibles into China. You know what I'm saying? That would be kind of like an apostle of the church, somebody that the church sends out to plant a church. Okay, but apostles of Christ were a little bit different. And there are a lot of people nowadays who claim to be apostles of Christ. Um, And it's it's kind of scary. These guys claim to have the apostolic authority that the original apostles had. So there's this concept of you have to submit to these apostles. There is um, this idea that they, uh, they, they feel like their words are actually equal with the words in the Bible. Okay? When they speak, it's like God is speaking through them. So they prophesy. They claim to heal people. I believe healings happen today, guys. Seriously. They do. They do. But there's guys, you know, Benny Hinn, Kenneth Copeland, these types, who run around and they'll place their hands on somebody and, and claim that they were healed, and they weren't. You know, they bring in people that limp in the back of the church and they'll put you in a wheelchair, roll you to the front. But if you roll in the church in a wheelchair, they'll put you in the back because they know you're not going to get healed. Um, it's, it's, it's scary stuff. We'll get into that a little bit later. But people that you, would rec- you might recognize some of these names. Uh, see Peter Wagner. He's kind of the guy that started this whole apostle movement, at least modern day. Uh, Cindy Jacobs. Anybody? Eh? Dutch Sheets. Lou Engel. I've seen that guy speak back when I was very involved with the, with the hyper-charismatic movement. He was, he was a, a wild character. Uh, Chuck Pierce. Mike Bickle of uh, the International House of Pancakes. Uh, prayer, sorry. No one. 
No one. <laughs> and now I understand. Okay, so the International House of Prayer. Okay, um, IHOP. Uh, Paul Kane, he's another one. A lot of names that some people who run in the Word of Faith crowds would recognize. Um, so anyway, moving to verse 3. According as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. In other words, the scriptures are sufficient. You catching that? God, through his divine power, <clears throat> has given us all things that pertain unto life and godliness uh, through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. So there are people out there who actually, you guys know about it, there's people out there that believe that um, the scriptures aren't sufficient, that you can add to them, you can subtract uh, from them. God's not done. The canon is open. You can just play with it, okay? And so people come around and they start claiming to be prophets. And so as an example, Jehovah's Witnesses, um, and you can find a bazillion quotes that are very similar to this. Um, this is from one of the Watchtower magazines, which they consider the Watchtower magazine, their organization, to be the prophet for today. Okay, uh, Maybe you guys don't know too much about them. They believe that uh, uh, Jesus is not God. Okay, He is a created being. Jesus is actually the, the, the archangel Michael. Okay, They deny hell. They deny the Trinity. They believe the Holy Spirit is just like a force, like, you know, use the force, Luke, that kind of stuff. Can't do a very good impression, so I won't try. Um, <laughs> and uh, so, okay, they say things like, uh, Watchtower Magazine says, From time to time there have arisen from among the ranks of Jehovah's people those who, like the original Satan, have adopted an independent, fault-finding attitude. They say that it is sufficient to read the Bible exclusively either alone or in small groups at home. But strangely, through such Bible readings, they've reverted, reverted right back to the apostate doctrines that commentaries by Christendom's clergy were teaching 100 years ago. Actually, I'll show up. Nice. I, you know, I, the day I had today, I just keep doubting that it's going to work. But it's going to work. Anyway, Latter-day Saints. Here's another group that believes that apostles and prophets are for today and that the Bible, the Word of God, is not sufficient. Uh, they actually, they, they've got a whole nother line of beliefs. They believe that, uh, again, Jesus uh, started as a man. Okay, God the Father even started as a man. He started as a man, lived a life on another planet, reached some degree of exaltation, and became God of this planet. They believe that through their works and following the Mormon gospel, if you will, that they can also ascend the ranks and become gods of their own planet. They believe Jesus and Lucifer are spirit brothers, okay? And that there was this big council on the planet Kolob billions of years ago, and there was a big disagreement on what we were going to do with planet Earth. And Jesus was like, I'll save them by dying for them. And Lucifer was like, I'll conquer them. And uh, the father of that particular, you know, the council, they're like, let's go with Jesus. Saint got angry, and now we got this scenario going on. So, <laughs> anyway, they say things like, and Brigham Young, he was the second uh, uh, prophet of the Mormon church. He said, many precious things have been rejected in the compilation and translation of the Bible. And that's kind of an, it's a little partial quote. There, there's so many 
from people like Brigham Young, Joseph Smith, who's the founder of Mormonism. Um, so yeah, again, we have people that believe that the Bible's not sufficient. This one makes people uncomfortable. But the Roman Catholic Church, they don't believe the Bible's sufficient either. Okay? It's, it's interesting. Um, the Council of Trent, uh, which they consider as, I mean, that's, that's gospel. The stuff that they came up and decided on during the Council of Trent, that's gospel. Okay? They believe that uh, in, in this Council of Trent, they determined that in doctrine, the church stands out, stands on scripture as well as sacred tradition, uh, the Apocrypha. You guys familiar with that? It's, they added extra books to the Bible. I, now I forgot, I think eight of them. I, I can't remember. But they added extra books to the Bible, uh, as well as they, they believe that the Apocrypha is fully inspired. They believe uh, that no version, even in Greek or Hebrew, is authentic other than the Latin Vulgate translation, which is their favorite. Um, they believe that the church claims the final, the right of final interpretation of scripture, scripture which cannot be interpreted other than in ways she approves. Uh, Pope Francis declared just recently that you cannot be saved outside of the Roman Catholic Church. Uh, many popes who have preceded him have made similar claims. So when you look at the Catholic Church, it's so interesting. And, and I, I'm not saying that Catholics, all Catholics are not saved. Far be it from, I'm not going to say that. I think a lot of Catholics are saved in spite of the Catholic Church because they're reading their scriptures. They're reading the Bible. And even with their version of the Bible, it's kind of watered down but it, the gospel is still there. Also, the catechism that you go through in Catholicism teaches you pretty solid doctrine. So it's what you learn afterward that kind of hinders your walk. And so, you know, there are, it, it's just a fact, Roman Catholics, if, they, if you believe that your salvation is based on works, that's, that's, not, that's not a saving faith, right? That's not you trusting alone in what Christ did on the cross. Uh, some believe that, some don't. But if you follow what the Catholic Church is, what, what they actually teach, then no. I mean, they don't believe that. In fact, during the Council of Trent, they actually said, if you believe in salvation by grace through faith alone, you're cursed. So, a little interesting tidbit. Um, also, the Word of Faith movement, again, uh, they believe in adding to God's Word, and they do that regularly. Uh, uh, Brian brought up Sarah Young's book, Jesus Calling. So there's a lot of people within Christianity that think it's okay to add to the Word of God and that the Word is not sufficient. Sarah Young has her devotional book, Jesus Calling, and she claims that, A, she channeled this book. Okay, She also claims that her words in this book, when she's claiming Jesus is talking, is equal with Scripture. Dangerous, like really dangerous. So anyway, what does the Bible say about that? We already saw what Second uh, uh, Peter verse uh, or, or chapter one verse three, Second Timothy. See, I do have it. Okay, Second Timothy three fifteen through seventeen, and that from a child thou hast. I like the King James version, guys. Sorry about that. Uh, it's a fun version, except for there's sometimes when it's like you know bowels of compassion. You're going what? <laughs> what is that? Uh, okay, that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. 
all Scripture is given by, do, uh, by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect. I, I like how the New King James says this, thoroughly equipped for all good works. So, yeah, you don't need, you don't need popes. You don't need uh, Mormon apostles and prophets. You don't need the Watchtower magazine, okay? You don't need Benny Hinn to tell you what some new revelation is, okay? Uh, Jude 1, verse 3. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was, ne- it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. Once. Okay? So, it was, it was delivered once. We don't need these additions, things, you know, and, and again, Mormons add to it, Jehovah's Witnesses add to it, Seventh-day Adventists add to it, okay, they add to the gospel, and according to Galatians 1, chapter, or I'm sorry, chapter 1, verses 6 through 9, I marvel that ye are, ye are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. As we said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that which ye have received, let him be accursed. He says it twice. So, again, worldviews matter. Doctrine matters. Um, very important. Thank you for letting me go on that rabbit trail. So it's, it's, it's just so important. Um, also, the Bible does warn against following traditions of man. Um, Colossians chapter 2, verse 8, Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. You're going to see these, and I wanted to kind of beat the dead horse here, but you're going to see these types of, of situations coming up over and over and over throughout this book. Where, you know, Second Peter, Peter's going to be talking about a lot of these scenarios where there are false teachers out there. It's an uncomfortable subject. But Peter, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, said it was going to happen. So they're out there. And, uh, I mean, they're all over TBN. They're... You know, coming to your door and knocking on the door at you know eight o'clock in the morning when your hair's sticking in all directions, and wanting to hand you a magazine. Okay, they're out there. So, moving on to verse four, I'm gonna I'm gonna go back and I want to read the previous verse so we can just kind of pull it together again. So, according as His divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, through the knowledge of Him that hath called us to glory and virtue whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Okay, so something really interesting there is that we're partakers of the divine nature. Is that kind of like when you know, people like Benny Hinn say that we're little gods? No. It's just talking about that we are born again. We are partakers of that divine nature. Um, I think it's cool, too. It's interesting. He says, 
having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. How about you guys? <laughs> escaped the corruption in the world through lust. That, yeah, I mean, it, it's convicting when you look at that. Um, moving on to verse 5. And besides this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, or... or um, Actually, the, the New King James says it a little bit better. Instead of temperance, self-control. And unto self-control, to patience, and to patience, godliness. And to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. So Peter goes down this road of seven character traits that we as Christians should like earnestly try to uh, implement in our life to really... Put in ourselves, we should dwell on these things, we should camp on these things, we should meditate on these things. And um, this list is not a list like that, that is necessary for salvation by any stretch, but it is something that um, we should look at and think about. You know, as Christians, this is the type of thing that would take you to the next level to really stop and dwell on these for a few days during your devotions. How am I measuring up to this stuff? And so, uh, like, for example, virtue, okay? And that would be the ability to perform heroic deeds of the faith, the quality of life, which makes someone stand out as excellent. So, uh, things like standing up to persecution, okay? Going to China and smuggling Bibles into China. That would be kind of a heroic deed. Uh, planting a church. Uh, things like finding a wallet on the ground that's filled with a lot of money and uh, rather than pocketing it, doing something about it, getting it back to the owner. These types of things, the things that people look at and go, whoa, you know, that, that's not normal. That, that really stood out. Okay, virtue. Something that, you know, Again, you know, how do you measure up to that? You know, these types of things. It's convicting. It's awesome. You know what I'm saying? And as he goes through this list, yes, you will feel some conviction. And, and you've got to ask yourself, wow, you know, some of these, yeah, sure. I, I, I can measure up to that a, a little bit. But, uh, you know, how well? So do your deeds stand out as excellent? Are, are there heroic deeds of of these types of things, heroic deeds of faith in your life? Great questions to ask yourself. Knowledge. Moving on to knowledge. Just studying your Bible. Diligently studying the Word of God. Understanding the Word of God. Rightly dividing the Word of Truth. Very simple, right? These things all kind of build on each other. And, and like Peter is getting momentum as he's going here. But so many Christians don't. They don't devote that time every day to reading the scriptures, or at least popping in an earbud and listening to the Bible uh, on MP3 or something, and getting the word inside of you and understanding what God wants, what he doesn't want. You know what I'm saying? Diligently understanding and dividing God's word. So again, are we spending time in the word every day? The Bible says, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Are you doing that? Um, the church in Ephesians chapter 5 verse 26 it said that they were washed by the water of the word something happens when you read God's word uh, conviction comes over you a lot of times 
God changes you from the inside out. And suddenly, things that you thought were pretty cool before are suddenly like, hmm, man, that doesn't feel right. I don't like it when I do that. You know, and your whole taste in, in life changes. Suddenly, you know, you, you, the, the TV shows that you liked before suddenly don't feel so good anymore. You know, that glorifying of blood and guts and death, and you're going, man, why did I watch that? That was ridiculous. You know, these types of things, okay? So the Word of God. So what about self-control or temperance? The ability to self-restrain yourself, your passions, lusts of the flesh, and so on. Good, it showed up. And so, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm always shocked by it. Well, it actually worked. So, um, <laughs> self-control. Man, that is so hard sometimes. Uh, men, you know, do you control your eyes? Do you control your thoughts? Okay, uh, controlling yourself in, in matters of, gosh, just about anything. When, when you've got a choice between watching TV or reading the scriptures, when you've got a choice between just chilling at home or going with some guys to go witness to some people, these types of things, self-control, it's, it's a pretty big deal. And it, and it can be very difficult in your life. One thing, okay, here's a little extra tidbit that I've learned along the way. I recently learned how to fast. I've been terrified of fasting all of my life because I tried it once, I made it half a day and ended up with a horrible migraine and I thought I was going to die. And now, and now recently, it was like, you know what? You know, I'm just going to do this. And I've learned to fast. And I tell you what, something happens when you fast. That self-control-ometer starts coming up, and, and, and you start learning how to control your lusts through it. If anybody hasn't tried it, you really ought to try it. Because you gained some strength you didn't know you had. You know, after, after making it through, you, by the end of the day, you're like, I'm going to die. And your body is telling you, you better eat or you're going to die. And, uh, nope, I'm not going to eat. I'm, I'm going to make it through this. And uh, it's, it's so rewarding. But, yes, it teaches you self-control. It's a little something that I've found along the way that has really helped me out. So, um, yeah, okay, self-control also. Restraining your mouth and anger. These other things that, you know, sometimes will come up. Your spouse will say something, and they don't mean anything by it, but suddenly you're like, and you want to get them. Restrain restrain yourself. Self-control. Danielle's just laughing at me. I would never do that. She's she's feeling conviction right now is what's going on. But uh, (laughs) like I said, and uh, controlling your anger. So another one, perseverance. Uh, this one's interesting too. Patience or endurance in doing what is right, never giving in to temptation or trial. Uh, that can be showing patience towards others who may not be where you are as well. That one, actually I'll go on to that one in a second. But um, doing what is right, never giving in to temptation or trial, um, that's pretty hard as well. Okay, here would be a great example. A lot of you guys work in secular work environments, probably pretty much all of you. And you're around non-Christians all day. How do you hold up to this kind of stuff? You know, people cuss in. Suddenly you're sitting at the table at lunchtime and somebody brings up the abortion debate. Do you, do you stand up and let them have it? Do you speak your mind? Do you give them the truth? Or do you just kind of shrink back and just kind of 
You know, another one that the whole uh, same-sex marriage thing, man, people get hot, they get really worked up. Are you persevering in that? Do you hold up? Do you, or do you just kind of, you know, and it's hard. It's really hard. People know that you're a Christian and they start asking you questions. And it's so easy to just be like, you know, and kind of shy away from it. But do you stand your ground and persevere? It's tough. Sometimes perseverance comes in the form of, you know, things are tough. Life can be tough. Today for me was tough. Really tough. It was like Satan was going after me all day long. And a little ways through the day, I started laughing about it. Because I'm like, you know, this, this is actually kind of funny. I'm, I'm like getting picked on here. So apparently there must be something in the sermon that somebody's going to get something from tonight. Because... You know, I shouldn't be getting picked on like this. Everything was going wrong today. Everything. But, you know, perseverance, you got to hold tight. you got to hang on. Uh, be a Christian even when things are tough. Um, reading through John Corson's commentary, he took a little different look at perseverance. And I thought it was interesting. Showing patience towards others who may not be where you are. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that. You know, I mean, in... I've certainly got the holier-than-thou thing done on me. So, you know, being, <laughs> being patient with others who aren't exactly where you're at in the faith and, you know, taking them one step at a time or others who are not Christians and you want to just let them have it, you know, the, the right foot of fellowship kind of thing and, and uh, slap them upside the head with a Bible. But no, you want to be patient with them. Godliness. To live reverently, loyally, and obediently toward God. So, I guess, you know, that one's, that one's pretty self-explanatory. Is your relationship with the Creator reverent? You know, you're not using the, o- the OMG. Um, there's so many ways to be irreverent. Today, we're going to take communion. And there's ways to be irreverent in that. That's a very solemn uh, uh, observance. When we take communion, we stop and we really consider ourselves and, and, and thank the Lord for what he did for us on that cross. Actually taking our punishment upon himself and suffering the way he did for people as filthy as us. You know, I don't know about you guys, but I know myself. And that, and that just blows my, blows my mind. But um, Godliness, okay. Are you loyal to your God as opposed to your lusts, like money, sexual, or, or sex, power, these types of things that people are also loyal to in their lives? Uh, would you put God first before those things? Uh, would God say to you that you're obedient? And we all want to hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. And brotherly kindness. Pretty straightforward as well. Mutual sacrifice for others. You know, uh, when people are sick, do you go visit them? When people are in need, do you bring them food? Do you help a brother out? <laughs> Brotherly kindness. That one's pretty simple. Um, interesting too. Mormons put us to shame on this one. They, it, it is, they absolutely put us to shame on the, on the level. I had Mormons come into my house almost every week. It was like home delivery. It was awesome. And uh, they'd come over and they would think, oh, I noticed your, your fence is not done. You want us to come over next weekend and we'll build your fence? Like, what? 
good. Nobody's ever offered me that. Are you kidding me? But uh, yeah, they will put us to shame in these types of uh, brotherly kindness things. And we as a church, you know, the Bible says that, um, well, I think it was Christ that said that they will know you by your love for one another. And I, I see that here. I see that here. But I've been in other congregations where it's, that ain't happening. It's not happening. So there's another one. And lastly, love. And I couldn't put it any better than 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 7. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. It's not puffed up. It does not behave rudely. It does not seek its own. It's not provoked. It thinks no evil. It does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. I I couldn't say it any better than that. So that would be, I mean, that's kind of the apex. I mean, these seven character traits, John MacArthur calls them moral excellencies. These seven traits really can help us take ourselves and our faith to the next level. We pray on these things, dwell on this. And, and so, I mean, as I was doing this study, it was like, wow, there's so much there that I am falling short on. And so, yeah, just things to really camp on, say a lot, you know, really meditate on it. And so moving on, Second Peter chapter 1, verse 8 through 11, For if these things be in you and abound... They make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacks these things is blind and cannot see afar off and has forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Wherefore the rather, brethren, give the diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you shall never fail. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly unto the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And so Peter just wraps it up and and really trying to pull all these seven traits together and say, guys, this really is, if you want to be fruitful in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, you want to be fruitful in your walk, these seven things are are key. They're pivotal. They're, They're absolutely critical. And so, ooh, that's new. And so these are the things that we really need to think about and dwell on. So yeah, if you want to be used, if you want to be a better ambassador for the kingdom, uh, this would be something you'd want to stop and really dwell on, meditate on, think on, pray about. Because these seven character traits, we've we got to get them in our life. We really do need to start practicing these things and making them a part of us. So um, let's pray. So, Father, thank you so much for for this opportunity tonight to share your word. Um, Lord, we pray that in this you get all the glory, you get all the praise, uh, and you get all the honor. We pray that, Lord, you would use this teaching uh, and these concepts in your word to change us, to humble us, to move us forward in our faith, that we would be vessels fit for your use. Lord, use us. Help us to be ambassadors for your kingdom. Uh, Seal these words in our heart tonight, Lord, and uh, really help us develop these traits in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. 
All right, guys, that's the end of part one. There's four other parts. Don't worry, I'm going to be mixing in other podcasts uh, into the mix here. So you're not going to be hearing Second Peter for the next month. <laughs> Don't worry about that. So uh, be looking forward to uh, Eric Hoven talking about the age of the earth here in the next uh, week or so. And uh, then uh, part two also probably next week as well of this sermon series. So with that, I love you guys. And well, we'll see you next week.